If you would take your Bible and turn this morning to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Matthew one twenty one says, And she shall bring forth a son. Of course, this was spoken to Joseph, by, to Joseph by the angels. And she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. The title of the message this morning is, He Came to Save. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege that we have to open your precious word. Thank you, Father, for... Sending your son that he might die for our sin. Help us to honor him and to glorify him, not only this day, but for life and for eternity. We do pray to just speak to our hearts, encourage us. Lord, if there be any in our midst who have not truly been born again, I pray, Father, to help them to realize that you came to save them from their sins. So just have your will and way. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, many people go through life and question what their purpose is in life. Some people join causes because it gives them a purpose or a cause for living. However, our Lord Jesus Christ had a divine purpose in coming into this world and taking a human body. And it was to give his life for that which was lost. He came to save. You know, as Matthew one twenty one says, that he shall save his people from their sins. So I want to look this morning at just this verse and consider five things. First of all, He is the Son of Man. Verse 10 again says, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. To me, that's an interesting title, that He is the Son of Man. It's used 89 times in the New Testament, 85 times in the Gospels, and it's always used by Jesus referring to Himself in the Gospels. The name stresses his humanity, into which he entered. That's very important to understand, into which he entered, because he wasn't always a human being. John 1.14 says, The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Galatians 4.4, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman. Made under the law, but made of a woman. You know, Philippians 2 7 says, But he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. You know, he was made in our likeness. He grew weary and tired. John 4 6 tells us he was wearied with his journey. At John 11, he wept at the grave of Lazarus. He became hungry and he cursed the fig tree for not having fruit on it. It's made in our likeness. 
In John 12, 34, the Pharisees spoke to him and it says, The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth ever. How sayest thou the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? But the Bible very clearly identifies who this Son of Man is. You know, a lot of people, there are many people that are confused about who really the Son of Man is. Uh, in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 16, the Bible says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They say, some say, Thou art John the Baptist, others Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. So who is this Son of Man? He is the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. He is the one that was prophesied in Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, a son is given. You know, the son wasn't born. The son was given. The child was born. See, he, be, he became, he entered humanity. He became a man at some point in time, but he was a son of God from all eternity. So a child is born, the son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Look at those, those names for just a minute. He, he is called Wonderful. Not Wonderful Counselor. Wonderful. That comma belongs there in that place. You know, a lot of modern versions take that comma out and say he's a Wonderful Counselor. No, he's Wonderful. And he's a Counselor. He's the Counselor. Matthew 21.15 says, When the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were sore displeased. Yet they couldn't argue with all the th- wonderful things they did. They couldn't argue with the wonderful person that he was. He had compassion for the multitudes. He had compassion for the poor. You know, he had compassion for the rich. He loved the rich man, though he turned away from him. He was wonderful. He is wonderful. And he borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Isaiah 53, 4 says. He is counselor. 1 Corinthians 1.30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Isaiah 25.1 says, O Lord, Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee, I will praise Thy name, for Thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. So He's wonderful. He's our counselor. He's the Almighty God. Revelation 1.8 describes, He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come. You know, he created all things. By him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth and things under the earth, whether they're visible or invisible. 
that the thrones or dominions, the principalities, all things were created by him and for him. Do you ever think about the fact he could have said to the soldier who was nailing him to the cross, do you know I made the tree from which this cross was made? And do you know I made the ore from which those nails and that hammer were made? And do you know that I made the hands that are swinging that hammer? He made the womb, which gave him birth. See, all things are created by him and for him. He made your hands, your feet, your mouth. John 1, 3 says, all things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He gives life and breath. John 1, 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. You know, he is the revelation of God to man. You know why they call the book of Revelation, Revelation? Because it reveals who Jesus Christ really is. It unveils that glory, and we see him as the Son of God, glorified for who he really is. The Almighty One. This is that son of man. You know, that's why so many people hate the book of Revelation, or they just say it's an allegory. Because they don't want to see Jesus for who he really is. He's called the everlasting father. Micah 5.2 says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judas, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. He that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. You know, he was there in eternity past. Proverbs 8.27 says, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. He is here in the present. Matthew 18.20 says, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Do you know Jesus is with us this morning? Yeah, Revelation 2.1 says he's walking in the midst of his candlesticks. And Revelation 1 tells us those candlesticks are the churches. He's here this morning. He knows your thoughts. You know, it tells me church is pretty important. Better not mess with God's church. Jesus is in the midst. You know, there's nothing more important for your life or my life right now than what's going on right here. He transcends all time. He is the past, present, future all at the same time. John 8, 51, he said, Verily, verily, I send you before Abraham was. I am. You know, I am is always in the present. He transcends all space. In John 3, 13, he told Nicodemus, No man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now he said that when he was on earth, and he said, I am in heaven. Is in heaven. That's present tense. You remember, Nathaniel said, Whence knowest thou me? And Jesus said, I saw thee 
under the fig tree before Philip called thee. He said, thou art the son of God. Thou art the king of Israel. He's called the prince of peace. Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Ephesians 2.14, it says, For he is our peace. He is our peace. You know, the only way you and I can have peace is in him. John 16.33, These things have I spoken unto you, that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. Be a good cheer. I have overcome the world. See, this is that son of man. The son of man. That was in all points tempted as like as we are, and yet without sin. And I submit to you this morning that he still is the son of man. You know, even after he rose from the dead, he said to the disciples, Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one God and one meter between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And you remember when Stephen was being stoned, Jesus had already ascended back to heaven in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen is being stoned while Saul holds the coats of those who are stoning him. And he cries out, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He still is the Son of Man. So the Son of Man is come. Notice the second thing. He came of his own Volition. The Son of Man is come, Luke 19.10 tells us. And he came of his own volition. John 1.12 says he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Go to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 7. In verse 27, the Bible says, Who needeth not daily, as those high priests, offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did once, when he offered up himself. You know, if you give an offering, is that something that's you're made to do? Or is it something you do of your own accord? You know, an offering is something you give of your own volition. That's an offering. You know, a gift is something you give of your own volition. You know, he, he, it says here, he offered up himself. In, in uh, chapter 9, again, verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, Offered himself without spot to God, purged your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Lord, he again he offered himself. Chapter ten, 
verse 9 and 10, and then verse 12. Then said he, Lo, I come to do the will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sin, forever sat down on the right hand of God. Uh, Philippians 2.7 again says, But he made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. So he, he made himself. He made himself. And he took upon himself. And in John chapter 10, in his message on the good shepherd... Verses 10 and 11, then verse 17 and 18, he says, The thief cometh not for to, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that he might have life and they might have it more abundantly. So he, he came again, I am come that he might have life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Then verse 17 and 18, Therefore doth my father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. And in chapter 19 of John, you remember Pilate is questioning him, and he's not answering. Pilate says, don't you know I have power to put you to death? And Jesus says, thou hast no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. And you know, Pilate got scared all of a sudden. You know, I have to think sometimes that, you know, Pilate was maybe a little smarter than the Pharisees were. I mean, when they arrested Jesus, in the, they came to arrest him in the garden, they, and he said, whom seek ye? And they say, I'm seeking Jesus. And he said, I am. And what happened to them? They all fell down. You know, if they'd have had any brains, they'd have got some fear of God real quick. You know, Pilate was between a rock and a hard place, and he knew it politically, and for expedience's sake, he consented to them. But he didn't want to do it. He went against his own conscience because he feared Jesus from that moment on. But Jesus said, you have no power against me except that we're given thee from above. See, he came of his own volition and he came thirdly he came to seek you notice verse 10 again says for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost you know he came seeing you and me in John chapter 4 when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well he says to her in verse 23, But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. That word seeketh there means to seek in order to find. It's looking for someone. It's like looking for someone you love who is lost in divorce. There's desire. There's earnestness. There's concern. There's compassion. 
You know, we see this in, when Jesus is, in his dealing with the, the rich young ruler, you know, after the rich young ruler, uh, 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 you know, listened to him and said all these things. And, I, and it says, Jesus beholding him, said unto him, and, and beholding him, loved him. In other words, he cared for him. He sought him. And said, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell all thou hast. Give to the poor, and thou shalt treasure in heaven. Come, take up thy cross, and follow me. He sought him. You'll find throughout, one of the things that Jesus says over and over again is, Come, or follow me. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest under your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He is the wisdom, as we looked at in Proverbs chapter 8, that is calling out to us, seeking us. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son. That is a deliberate act from the heart of God. God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made on the law, to redeem them that were under the law. You see, God sent His Son to seek man to save him from his sin, to redeem them that are under the curse of the law. Curse of sin. So He came. Seek you and I. Fourthly, he came to save. Not just to seek, but to save. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Matthew one twenty one says, For he shall save his people from the sins. The word save there means to deliver from the penalty of sin the wrath of God. You know, God sent his Son. His Son came to deliver us from the wrath of God. Our sin is, separates us from God, puts us under the condemnation and, and the wrath of God. Isaiah 59 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. See, God is of pure eyes than to behold evil. He cannot look upon sin. He can't fellowship with sin. He can't dwell with sin. He can't stay in sin. It's, it's, you know, it, it, just one sin is repulsive to him. You know, think about it. How many sins did it take for him to break fellowship or a relationship with Adam and Eve? God can't behold it. And our iniquities have separated us from God. It has brought death. And that's really what death means, separation. Separation from God. And thereby we are all condemned before a holy and righteous God. Galatians 3.10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Curse is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. I mean, you can read and study this book through, and you can endeavor to keep every commandment and every law that God gives us in His Word. But if you break one of them, you're a guilty sinner 
condemned before a holy and righteous God. Because James clearly tells us you can keep the whole law, yet offend in one point, and you're guilty of all. It only takes one sin. One sin brought the curse of sin, which is death upon all men. But Christ hath redeemed us. He came to save us. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, John, 1 John 2.2, 2, He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That word propitiation means, it, it, it has the idea of the appeasing or the satisfying of the wrath of God. And Jesus Christ is our satisfaction of God's wrath. He satisfied God's wrath on my behalf, on your behalf. So Jesus took my and your wrath upon himself. He came to save. But that brings up an interesting point. Do you save your junk? Do you save stuff that's worthless? You know, if you save something, it is because you believe it's worth saving. You don't save stuff that you think is worthless. Now, there may be some people that do. You know, I look at some people's places and I think, yeah, they do. But people don't say, you know, you know one man's junk is another man's treasure, they say. Uh, people do not save things they think are worthless, that they think is junk. You know, if I type something that I think is of value, I save it. On a little scan disk, about as big as my finger. I've got sermons from three years now on scan disks as big as my finger. Why? Because I think they're of value. Well, at least they are to me. Um, you know, so, so we keep things that we think are of value to us. We save them. And Christ came to save us. God sent his son to save us. You know, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. In Matthew 9, 36, the Bible says, Jesus saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion. In other words, he was moved with compassion, with concern, with care for the multitudes. He looked over Jerusalem in Matthew 23 and verse 37. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and sonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? And you would not. You picture a, a, hen, a mother hen and a storm's coming and she's got a little, bunch of little chicks and she, she calls to them and she gathers them under her wings and she covers them to protect them. 
to save them from the storm. Believe it, the storms of hell are coming for mankind, but Christ came to save us from that. You know, Jonah 4.11 says, you know, Jonah had preached to Nineveh, and Nineveh had repented. And Jonah, of course, was upset. I still have a hard time, you know, with a preacher being upset when people repent when you preach, but I guess that, that shows his, his animosity toward the Ninevites. But anyway, in Jonah 4.11, the Lord said to Jonah, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city? Wherefore, wherein are more than 6,000 persons that cannot discern between their right hand and left hand? I believe that's talking about children. Six score thousand, so 60,000 children. And also much cattle. You know what? That tells me God has a heart for mankind and for creation in general that he even cares about the cattle. Go to Luke chapter 12. Now keep that thought in mind. So he cares about the animal kingdom. But Luke chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, he tells us, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? I mean... Sparrows aren't worth a whole lot. Two farthings. Five sparrows. But notice this. Not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. You see, God even has a value on sparrows. And he says, you have much greater value than many sparrows. Many sparrows. You know, there is no such thing as a worthless soul. It's just one without God. Now, sometimes we look at people and we might say, they're just worthless. They seem worthless to us. But God, to God, there's no such thing as a worthless soul. It's just one without him. I mean, there was one man, and he said this about himself. I was unknown by the face under the churches of Judea which were in Christ, but that he heard only that he which persecuted us in times past now preached the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. 
See, the fact that God came to save us means that God thinks and he believes that we are worth saving. I mean, the Bible tells us there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. When you go out that door and you meet other people, they are worth saving. To God, they are worth saving. They're souls for whom Christ died. Then I want you to notice the fifth thing. He came for that which was lost. Verse 10 again, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, we might ask the question, what was lost in the fall? Well, it was man's relationship in standing with God. All creation is now under the curse of sin. Man's sin has affected all of creation. You know, God had given man dominion over all of creation, and so he had surrendered that dominion or that rule over creation to Satan, if you will. And the Bible says that Satan is the prince of this world. It refers to him as in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, as the God of this world, who hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. And so all of creation was put under the curse of sin, as we read about in Romans 8.20. It says, For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. And for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together unto now. But one of these days, even the creature is going to be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. You know, the, the name Son of Man really means Son of Adam. And it was the first Adam who was given dominion over all the creation and who surrendered that dominion to the devil. But it'll be the, it is the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, that it's redeemed us from the curse of the law, and in his time he will deliver all of creation from the curse of sin. You know, in his death and resurrection, he has nullified Adam's sin. He has voided it. He has removed it. He has taken it away. Removed the penalty for all that call upon him. You know, in Revelation chapter 5, there's a scene in heaven of God sitting on his throne with a seven-sealed book. And the question is asked, who is worthy to open the book with the seven seals? And they cried, worthy is the Lamb. Because there was no man found worthy to open the book but the Son of Man. That book is believed to be the title deed to the earth. Because he's going to take dominion of the earth again. And he is worthy to judge the world, judge the earth, and man for his rebellion, and redeem creation to himself by the power of his resurrection. See, his death and resurrection, by his death and resurrection, he has redeemed all men who repent and all of creation, for he is worthy. You know, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. 
He came seeking you. He came seeking you. And you know, one of these days, this same Jesus, this same Son of Man, will come again in like manner as they saw him go. You know, Revelation 1.7 says, Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. And they also which pierced him, and all kinsmen of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. Jude, verses 14 and 15 says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among you. You know, one of these days, all those ungodly people are going to be convinced that he is the Son of God. They're going to be convinced of their wicked deeds and their rebellion against him. You know, Acts 17, 30 and 31 says, The times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he would judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. You see, the Son of Man God became a man to die as a man as an offering for the sin of man to save us from our sin. And whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, if we repent of our sin, receive him as Lord and Savior, we can receive that redemption he came to, to give, offer to us. So the question is this morning, have you repented of your sin? Have you received him as your Lord and Savior? He came to seek you and to save you. Because to him, you are worth saving. Christian, if you know him today, there's a world out there that doesn't know him. He came to save them too. Because he believes they are worth saving. And we're to be his witnesses. Let's pray.